Hi, I'm Karis Howells and I'm here with my colleague. Hello, I'm Darren Minister. We are part of a team of academic developers at Swansea University who provide support and promote good learning and teaching practices and experiences. Welcome to A Pinch of Salt, Swansea University's learning and teaching podcast. If it has anything to do with learning and teaching in higher education, let's make sure everyone knows about it. In this episode, we'll be exploring the impact of HEA Fellowship on teaching practices here at Swansea. And I'm thrilled to say that we are joined today by two of our fellows, Charlie Earl and Marcella Bestikova. Charlie is a HEA Fellow from the School of Health and Social Care, as well as working for the NHS. She is also a Senior Lecturer in Respiratory and Sleep Healthcare Science. She is a strong advocate for the use of learning technology, having developed her own student support app, as well as a peer mentoring programme. We are also joined by Senior Fellow Marcella Bestikova from Swansea University's Medical School. Marcella's area of expertise include clinical anatomy, dissection courses, as well as medical education. She has also been involved with numerous community learning projects and was recently nominated for the British Medical Association's Clinical Teacher of the Year Award. So I'm very pleased to welcome both Charlie and Marcella to A Pinch of Salt. How are you both? Welcome. Hi. Hi, everybody. Thank you for inviting me for the talk. Oh, it's great to have you with us today. Hi, Charlie. Hi, thank you for the invitation. No problem whatsoever. It's great that you're both with us today. So obviously we're here to talk about HEA Fellowship and there are several pathways that staff achieve HEA Fellowship, such as PG Cert or through our Swansea internal route. Would you both like to just quickly give an overview of how you achieved fellowship, what route you took to achieving your fellowship? And we start with Marcella. Okay, so um, since my start at the university, so I've started in 2015 it's a long time ago really <laughs> so I've started with the PG set when the kind of the jumped into the HE of the UK because I'd previously worked in a different sector so with the Europe in the Czech Republic so it was a kind of the different things so I had to really dive into the different framework and everything around and PG set was kind of the really good background gave me insight into the framework and then the dimensions which which fits with the fellowship and the higher education academy as well that was the first step after completing the pg cert so i went for the fellowship because it was kind of the part of the of the of the studies itself so it was the first recognition and I was really proud of myself because it was very difficult and it was, I was struggling with writing the application. It wasn't easy for me and uh, to really focus on a reflective approach, which is always desired, but it really helped me to be honest, to, to reflect what I'm doing. It was continuously developing because I was uh, in a close relation to SALT working together with them and just uh, attending the um, workshop. I've learned so much around the technologies and everything around. So yeah, I put the application for the senior fellowship because we work as a team and I, I was leading the team and I was just doing the things. I thought it's just a day, daily job, but then I said myself, so I should give a try because I'm doing so many things and I think it, it be a good to be recognized like a senior fellow. So that, that's my story, short one. Thank you. How about you, Charlie? Did you come through a similar pathway? I was quite a new 
teacher when I joined Swansea University. And I really used the the SALT kind of network and that PG Cert course to create friendships. Um, it's very easy when you're a new staff member to only see your direct team, which is great, but you are kind of um, in a little bit of a bubble. So the PG Cert enabled me to kind of expand that bubble a little bit. So I worked quite well with people who were from the School of Engineering and from Computer Science who I would never have crossed paths with before. And I'm actually, uh, Marcella, I'm actually writing my senior fellowship at the moment, just what I was doing this morning. <laughs> so I plan to submit mine. So um, uh, in, I think it's December or around Christmas time this year. Yeah, so set very similar route to Marcella. Strongly support it. It's been a little while since you both did your PG thirds and, and of course, Marcella um, managed a senior fellowship. Do you feel that those sort of gains and that grounding that I initially gave you, has that continued to build and develop throughout your practice? Have you felt that those gains have been something that's had a, a lasting legacy? Definitely for me, I'm a much more confident at making new connections and approaching people. It's not unheard of for me to send an email to a complete stranger in the university and say, hi, do you want to do this with me? Which I would never have, have done before doing the, the, the PG cert. I might have dreamt that one day I might be bold enough, but <laughs> I never would have actually done it. Um, I think that the, the PG cert encourages you to, to make those steps because it encourages everyone to make those steps. And when you start making them, you realize that other people are also in the same boat and they are also reaching out for help or support with something you're not the only one doing it and that's quite reassuring actually so definitely it's been a long-lasting um thing I'm I'm still actually doing projects with some of the colleagues that I met four or five years ago um on the PG cert course so that just goes to show really it wasn't just a a short term I think at the time I thought it was just going to be a short-term thing (laughs) Because I think it's difficult sometimes to see the long-term usefulness of something when you're very new to the career as well. People tell you, oh, this is really going to help you. But unless you have done the job, you don't really know how it's going to help you or why it's going to help you. So I think I was perhaps a little bit kind of close-minded to begin with, thinking, oh, this will get me this qualification and that's where it stops. Um, But it's not worked that way at all. Yeah, Charlie, I absolutely agree. The networking was so important for me and even just talking through the difficulties with the others, it was so supporting. So, and, and it, we just sorted it out for, for ourselves. I mean, we talked through the things. And for me, the most, let's say, um, fortunate was that um, I saw the different subjects. Because as you, as you were talking about the bubble, you know, the medicine is a bubble as well. It's a kind of the special things. And as I'm teaching anatomy, anatomy is a bubble in a bubble. So <laughs> so it was really, really lovely to meet people across the university and to see how they struggle with teaching practice with different subjects because they struggle with different things. And that just pick up the small bits which you can use and you never used in your teaching practice. That was really, really rewarding for doing the network with the others. And definitely I keep in touch with the people around and I keep in, in touch with the salt as well because 
there is still something you can improve and you can work on and you can just learn. So this is the continuously developing strategies, just learning, teaching and reflecting on what you're doing, which is great. It sounds as if it's had sort of twofold, really, or threefold even. It's kind of helped with your, your networks or your kind of connections with those outside of your immediate sort of disciplines. But it's also kind of improved your teaching practice and identity. Would that be fair to say? Yes, absolutely. I, I absolutely agree. And when I was uh, uh, writing my application, so I looked for the mentor from a different field because they saw the things differently. They, they just gave me the feedback, which I, I would never just find out in my application. That was, that, that was really important for me. I think um, the word identity is, is quite, quite key there for me, really, because I don't think I really had an identity before I started doing the PG SIP. And, and what that was, was based purely on those direct people around me you know, my line manager, my immediate colleagues. And they were, I was very lucky, they were a fantastic immediate team. It's never always enough to just keep with your close little network. And exactly what Marcella was saying, I, I listened to what other people were struggling with and thought, no, oh, I don't find that problem that's really easy to me. And then bits that I was struggling with, they were like, oh, well, we have this solution. Even just simple things like, our courses, certainly, I don't know if it's the same for you, Marcella, but certainly in my field, the courses are quite small in number. So it, I wouldn't have to mark 300 papers. I don't have that many students. But for engineering or something, that you know, that might be normal for them. So there's different hurdles and different struggles. And that, that's not to say that my marking could be better or could be more streamlined just because I've got less. It's all about making it more effective for me and for the students. So yeah, definitely I, I, I got a sense of who I want to be as a teacher through, through doing the PGCERT and, and networking. And I imagine that's been particularly important during a pandemic. I suppose I'm really sort of reflecting back on the last 12 to 18 months. Is there anything then from those last uh, year or so during the pandemic that you'd like to, uh, in terms of your teaching, that you'd like to take sort of forward with you or incorporate into your teaching in the coming years? Yes, absolutely. At the starting of pandemic, it was a nightmare, to be honest, because uh, teaching anatomy in a practical lab with the hands-on anatomy, uh, just, you know, using a, a lot of resources, human tissue and um, anatomical models, it was impossible. So that was the part uh, I, I was struggling a lot, like a practical teaching, practical sessions. Then we have created kind of the studio in anatomy lab, like a playground for us, unfortunately, with, without the students, without the children playing with us, yeah. But it was a kind of the interaction. So the students really appreciated it. Even they couldn't come into the lab. Now they, they are allowed. And I hope we're going to be back face to face, which is a central part of my teaching. But I will definitely use what I have learned through this period of time. Because uh, I 
grew with the technologies. I wasn't a supporter for technologies. I'm kind of a practical person. So I, I'm glad to just, you know, talk to people and I, I love the interaction and the immediate feedback to see also the expression of the faces and everything. But there is a lot of options. You can support the learning of the students online. So I've learned a lot for the interaction, flipped classroom, and uh, the other stuff can that can support the students. So definitely I will use the blended teaching and learning model for the future, especially when the number of students are increasing and the facilities doesn't allow us to have face-to-face -face lectures, for example. But I will also look forward to have face-to-face -face teaching as well. So it will be balanced, hopefully. The, the biggest thing that I want to take forward, I guess the top two, is to reduce pressure on myself. I don't like it when things don't work out. So I might plan a lecture and something might not go to plan. For example, I might plan a practical session with groups of five and I might have an odd number of students. And it doesn't work if you've got a group of four because you planned it for five. And I really struggle with when things don't go the way I've planned them to go because they should go smoothly. But I guess I'm much more, well, I know I'm much more flexible with my teaching approach now. One, in terms of how I deliver that, but two, in terms of how successful that delivery is. I think there's a lot of pressure on that, on every single lecture to be good of whatever, or at least good, good or excellent, um, no matter what content or practical it would have been and and I, I I agree with what what Marcella was saying there are some things that you just simply cannot replicate online a lot of things you can but some things you can't and I think there's a lot of pressure certain or it has been a lot of pressure over the last 18 months to force yourself to do that online and there's been quite a few lectures that I have led they've gone disastrously so I just rebooked them and did them a different way I told the students that it didn't go the way I wanted it to go. I didn't feel that I'd got across what I, tried, what I was aiming to get across. And we just redid them. The students were fine with it because they got two, con two kind of different delivery methods of, of a similar content. I felt better because I'd learned my mistakes from the first delivery. And it made no difference at all. I just booked it for the next week. So I think, firstly, I would, I, I'm going to take forward the fact that it doesn't have to be perfect things go wrong, technology breaks, internet goes down, the doorbell goes, you don't feel very well, life happens, isn't it? And the second thing, which has been an unexpected bonus out of COVID is I ended up forming a bit of a buddy relationship with a colleague. So there's a colleague that I work with in cardiology, a lady called Shannon, and we have a very good relationship because we're slightly competitive and so we like to show off if we found something new or cool or something that we tried with students and it worked wonderfully well or perhaps share war stories where it didn't work well and um, and because of that we push each other we motivate each motivate each other so I've I've tried new things I would never have tried before because Shannon and I kind of work as a even though we teach different groups, we kind of work well together and kind of bounce ideas off each other. So I plan to continue that or try, if she'll let me, continue that relationship going forward. And I would definitely recommend someone to find a bit of a buddy 
um, if you're like me and like a little bit of competition. It's quite nice to say you've done something well and someone say, oh, I'll try that because it makes you feel good. So how do others, whether it's your peers, colleagues or students, even know that you are a fellow? How do you promote your HA fellowship? So I became, let's say, active through the thought more than the colleagues around. And then the, finally, I just found that uh, I can just show the things to to my teaching team. I'm, I'm a module lead. So I just started to say that I have learned this through my fellowship. I have just reflected on this through my fellowship. It was a junior teacher who didn't know. And I said, yeah, that's the benefit of the fellowship because I reflected on myself and I know how it works so I can just pass it to them. Yeah. And uh, recently when I became a senior fellowship, so I'm a mentor, I'm also the assessor for the, for the application, Swansea University application route. So I can give a feedback through, through the reviewing the applications. I do the peer review, which also benefits from what I have reached through the senior fellowship application. It was kind of the eye-opening that a small things can really help. And uh, the rewarding part of this fellowship is that they said, yeah, it works. Yes, this is good. And this is a really small, tiny change, but it actually impacts on all session, which is great. So that, that's kind of the, my dissemination of the fellowship benefits and the, to why it's worth it to write the application and to just get the reward yourself or recognition that what you're doing as a day job is good. I think for me, staff would know that I've got it because I volunteer myself to be um, an observer and observed for other people who are going through the, the PGCERT process. As that's one of the like modules is to, to be observed in your teaching and observe others. Student-wise, I hope they've seen an improvement in my teaching. <laughs> Um, that should indicate to them that I've done some self-development and reflection um, and <laughs> looking back to where I was when I first started and where I am now, they are worlds apart. So um, I hope that the students have seen some change. I did actually have a few students for one of the reflections, I can't remember what module it was now, I asked for some student feedback and I acknowledged that I was doing a, a, a qualification and that I could could do with some help. And I had loads of students email. They were, they were very supportive that I was learning too. I think it put us in the same boat. It made me a human rather than just a lecturer, I think. <laughs> I can quickly pick up on that and that issue of reflection. And we've mentioned the, the buddying system. We talked about observations. How easy is it to incorporate reflection into your practice? Is it something that's come natural to you or... Is it something that's kind of culturally there within your department? Is it something you've had to work on individually? How does it come about and, and kind of how, how natural was it to incorporate that into what you're doing now? I, th I think for me, it, it kind of happens quite naturally because I'm quite a self-critical person um, because I, I have this idea in my head of how it should go. And so by default, I reflect to compare how it went as to how I thought it was going to go. I'm much better at reflecting more neutrally now than I was. And that was something I definitely had to work on was um, neutral reflections. So the small wins, even the fact that people turned up, that's a win. 
People saw the content, they saw it's timetabled and they decided, I want to turn up to this. It sounds really silly, but you have to, you have to really think about the, the small wins because it's very easy to, to reflect negatively. And so that's where my mind automatically goes. So I did have to work on a more neutral reflection. The observation for me is a little bit difficult in the team because we are a really small team. So we, we work together all the time. So we generally talk. It's kind of the informal observation. And uh, through the session, we help each other. So just saying, so so you might use this, you might, you know, just kind of the things. But the for kind of the observation, I have the experience with the as you said, Charlie, about the engineering. So I was I was targeted by by junior teacher to do the peer observation of the lecture of like almost three hundred students. Uh, it it was, it was a good lecture for me as well because I usually use the interaction. I like the interaction, as I said before. I was sitting as one of the students, and I said, "Well, it's really difficult to keep attention of the students," and just. I try to be a teacher in front of the students and trying to deliver the subject he was delivering. So it was a kind of reflection also for myself to see, oh my gosh, this is really difficult. Yeah. So, so, and then afterwards discussion and the, the view of the teacher who was like observed. So I would say, okay, come and just see what I'm doing because you will see the different bits. And I think the observation is very helpful uh, for seeing a different bit, like a mirror thing. Yeah, so very useful. It sounds like you've had some really great experience with reflection and it's really helping you to develop your practice. Obviously, reflection is just one aspect of your fellowship application. But I was also wondering, I mean, Charlie, you're probably very familiar with this if you're going through your senior fellow application right now. UKPSF, having to map your case and your beads, your knowledge and your values. I mean, how are you finding it? And also, do you feel like it has any sort of significant impact on the way that you're approaching your teaching then, shall we say, in the real world? Honestly, um, I find mapping quite hard, which is ironic because a whole section of my work is teaching students how to map work to a portfolio. So pot, kettle and black come to mind. Yeah, it's very different. It's difficult when someone has written some text that you have to map and you have to work out whether you're moulding your situation to fit the text or the text to fit the situation because it doesn't ever fit perfectly. And the, the, the framework concepts are, are purposely vague so that people can map them. You have kind of peaks and troughs in, yeah, this is a really good example and you can map it to loads of things and if you're struggling to map something it's the wrong example that's the only thing that i found but the only way i know that is because i've already written it and i can't map it so it doesn't actually save me any time because i've already written it but it helps me identify the the better things to put into the application and um, i probably write um, one and a half times what I actually submit because anything that I find difficult to map I just take out if I can't map it then they're not going to be able to work it out and they 
Right. So my first application, it was very difficult. I agree, Charlie. So it was uh, kind of the, to, to map it appropriately uh, to what it actually means. If you're writing something down and what does it mean? So just link to this, the area of activity. And then I realized some bits are actually cross-referencing. So you find you're doing one thing, but it links to the, to the different ones as well. What was really helpful for me when I was doing the reviewing of the application of fellowship, that was much easier than I was writing in and mapping in, in my writing. You, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So because you see, and you read and you see, and you say, okay, so he forgot this would be mapped to the, to the different era. Maybe it's also a kind of the experience because I've done it twice and I, I I have to rewrite it. I have to just remap and re-reference framework. And it was, I was struggling. I think most of the people are struggling. Finally, you, you get, so what I did is I put the examples and I tried to match it, find it in a text and to match it to the, to the appropriate area of activity or core knowledge or, or professional values. But what I think is to see how it interacts that was important and when i was assessing the application i i saw it immediately and then we did the discussion about results so we agreed that uh, the applicant put quite a lot in but forgot to map it which was a shame yeah so so there is a lot of things, but uh, yeah, it is extremely hard when you're mapping it for yourself, as you said, for, from your module, and it's easy to map it in a different text without the, you know, subjective point of view. Good experience. So in terms of the UKPSF as well, for the fans of the UKPSF, do, do you have a dimension that you particularly enjoy engaging with, or is there also a dimension that you find most challenging. V is definitely the most challenging because I was trying to map it this morning. <laughs> so the, the professional values, yeah, and they, they can be difficult because they are quite broad and in terms of interpretation. Yeah. And I, and I think, um, it, it's difficult sometimes to know whether your example should be, I gave this lecture once and it was like this, or whether it should be, I've run this module like this. You know, are you talking about specifics, one-off situation or an experience which has prolonged a, a longer period of time? Are there any dimensions you particularly enjoy engaging with or is an aspect of your teaching that you, you thoroughly enjoy the most? Okay, knowledge. That one I find quite easy to engage with. I will quote this wrong, but one of them talks about... Um, teaching the knowledge in a way that's appropriate for the content that you're delivering and the audience that you're delivering it to. Um, I quite like that one. I think it, it makes you feel quite good about yourself when you can justify why you taught something a certain way and how you were thinking, even subconsciously, how you were thinking, oh, if I deliver it like this, it's not going to be as effective, but let's change it and do it this way. And actually writing that down and justifying it out loud, dare I say, it, it, it consolidates your thought processes that perhaps certainly I wasn't really aware of that I'd subconsciously disregarded certain methods because I knew they weren't right for that student group or for that knowledge content. 
but forcing you to write it down and address and link it to that framework it makes you realize those decisions and makes you think actually yeah I do know what I'm doing for me I will start with what I like <laughs> so the NRS activity was quite easy for me as I'm an active person so I, I just fit it in it was a kind of uh, reflection of what I'm doing so it, it was kind of the nice reflection on the process and and the delivery and all the aspects for the activities I'm doing. The core knowledge was linked to it because this definitely fits together with the activities. It's an essential part of it. So it wasn't really difficult as well. What helps also to me was to look through the previous application like examples. So I tried to just look how they map it together and it was quite easy to, to follow. So then I applied in my application uh, and I agree with Charlie, the professional values were a bit tricky. These were uh, tricky because it's a broad and I, I couldn't decide which, which professional value I should link to the, to the narrative. So that was a kind of uh, balancing in which is the most appropriate one, yeah? As I didn't want to put all of them, you could put all of them, but it doesn't work like that. So you have to just pick one or two. That was the most challenging part, yeah. Uh, in terms of, so as a personal CPD, then what's the last piece of, whether it's literature or podcast or effective practice that you've read or watched? Well, very last one was a pinch of salt. <laughs> <laughs> I just looked through that. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I do quite a lot of CPDs uh, at the moment focused on the assessment and feedback as that's the top, which we, I have to work on. And uh, I attended the effective practice and I was one of the presenters as well for the lab practical to just show how we struggle and how we just cope with the, all the lab practical lines uh, teaching. And, and the very last one was also the, from the advanced EHP uh, assessment and feedback as well. That was really good one because there are different universities presenting. It's also nice to see across the UK how they apply the assessment and feedback and different tips. That was a, a good one. I remember from the last two months. For me, I've done a little bit of reading on how to teach clinical or practical skills not being face-to-face -face. and I was just trying to find the name of a paper that really took my fancy. It was in a nursing journal. It was published this year and it talked about a group of nurses who were given a box and they were given times to collect and drop off their box and in their box were practical pieces of equipment that they needed to utilize on their household so safe in their kind of COVID bubbles and it talked about what types of equipment they'd given and they gave laminated instruction sheets so they could be wiped down and they gave everything in this box and um, last time I checked it had got something like 18 and a half thousand views so it seems to be quite a popular thing, a popular article. I found it really interesting. And as a result, I've developed a bag, not a box, bag, going slightly different. And my students are collecting a bag 
and they drop their bag off a few days later and in their bag is pieces of equipment, instructions, etc., for them to practice some skills at home. I did a version of it last year, which wasn't successful hugely, but now I've read that paper, I know why it wasn't successful. They, for one, didn't have instructions. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was one of the downfalls. <laughs> I gave them instructions via Zoom, but there was no printed instructions. So you learn from mistakes, don't you? So they've now got printed instructions. And the students are already asking. So this started end of September. So I've done three or four student groups now. And the ones who have had the, the bags are asking if they can have them again after Christmas. But I'm not due to go through the whole group until the end of March. So half the class hasn't even helped them yet. Um, and they're already looking forward to can we have them again and um, so that's positive. Sounds like CPT is really having a dramatic impact on your teaching practice and I guess everyone's teaching practice has had to really evolve over the last 18 months so it's, it's been really lovely hearing today how fellowship the PGSIR and also all of the ongoing projects you've had is, is shaping your teaching here at Swansea so thank you so much for talking to us both. We just have a couple of slightly softer questions. We call them our salty questions. So they're a little bit lighter hearted. They're not going to, not too grueling. So first off, what is your favorite memory of teaching at a university? So in higher education, what was your favorite memory? Well, I'm going to jump straight in here because I know there was a student um, who was really struggling to grasp the concept. And I went through my standard box of tricks as to how to explain the concept. We had one-to-ones, we did stuff. It was before online even really existed, you know, pre-COVID. Um, so we had one-to-ones, I had them into my office. I did like peer work with them so they could try and learn off each other. But I, I, I'd asked them to pick their peer and then I swapped their peer. So I chose someone for them to pair up with and they got it. And I watched that light bulb and they were like, this is it. And despite all of my efforts, it wasn't me that showed them the right way. <laughs> it was another student. I felt so proud, so proud of that student because that student had learned the concept I was trying to, to teach. They'd finally got it. Everything made sense to them now. And they'd got it with their friend or a new friend and it definitely taught me that I'm not the only one that can teach <laughs> use the classmates because they um they can definitely help out in situations that perhaps you can't get through to a student for me that was the very first lecture lecturing the medical students the first year students it wasn't here it was there in Czech and the group was really competitive so I was in the middle of the talk and I was as I'm passionate and active and, you know, overactive sometimes. Yeah. So I was just talking and explaining the things. And uh, in the middle of the sentence, one of the students just stand up and he was staring at me. He was a really good student. I know he was working hard and we, we had a couple of discussion and I was like, because I was a new one. So I, I was like, did I say something wrong? And, uh, and he was staring at me and I was like, what you, uh, anything happened, yeah? And he just stared at me and, sorry, I just realized I forgot my roller blades in front of the house. <laughs> and, and he wanted to just run out. And I was like, uh, 
and he just thought it out afterwards. Did you, did you follow me? And it was the kind of the, they didn't really follow me. I was overactive. They didn't really just listen to me. They were thinking about something different. So I was like, oh, slow down. That was also kind of the reflection, but it was really funny occasion. And I'm in touch with this student because it was my very first cohort. And he is a doctor now. You'd have to remind him of that next time you see him. So thank you for sharing your uh, sort of experiences uh, with us today. So just last question. What one piece of advice would you give to someone just starting out on their teaching career in HE? One, just the one piece of advice. Work smarter, not harder. Whether that be using networks that you've got to support you in something that you are new to or don't understand. Whether that be using a software or a, a program. There's so many things now that you can, programs you can use that, for example, people can schedule meetings with you saves you emailing back and forth five times I'm not free then when are you free I'm not free then sorry when are you free you, things like that like kind of administrative tasks they can help with those and utilizing the resources that are available to you internally and externally so definitely work smarter not harder so from me just one year so take take the good with the bad and don't forget you are not the only one who struggles we all have started at the certain point and through the work, through the motivation, networking, everything. So you, you make it better. That's only the kind of the determination. And for me, being a teacher, it's like, think about what do you like the most on teaching? What's the, what's why are you doing that? So that, that might be also kind of the motivation. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the message. I think what you've said there, and Marcelo, is really good. Take the good with the bad. And, and don't expect to ever not have the bad with the good. I still have lectures that don't work out. And I've been teaching for seven years. And I'm sure people who have been teaching for 20, 30 years still have the same. So yes, I agree. I am teaching more than 20 years and agree. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that's a really good thing. And I think that's a, a really good piece of advice. Well, yeah, good one, Sarah. Fabulous, thank you. And on that note, I think that's a really great place for us to close today's discussion. Thank you both so much for joining us. I really, really enjoyed talking to you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.